It's Sunday morning, and uh, this is October the 6th. I can remember that because our picnic goes on October the 5th. Uh, here in 2019. I'm talking to you on Sunday morning about apostasy. It's running full force across America and the world. The Bible says the day of the Lord will not come except there come a falling away first. The falling away is one word in the Greek. Apo stasis. Now, that word is a construction of apo and stasis. And I believe we call it apostasy. I believe we're in the apostasy now, full force. This is not even the same world that I was raised in in the 1940s and early 50s when I was just a boy. It's not the same world. It's crazy. Apo means a removal or off with, off with, off with the stasis. Stasis means to stand upright. You remember I just gave you that the the upright cross, the, the stipes that they would crucify a man on and then they would take the patibulum, the cross piece and put it up there. Well this is the upright post that they put the cross piece on. I've already gone through that and uh, so to be upright you were said to be standing you were said to be standing and you have the word histeme h-i-s-t-e-m-i which is a form of stasis and you have the word stao which means to stand another form of stasis of course histeme doesn't have any h's it's the diacritical mark since there are no H's in the Greek. And then you have the word staros, which is also a form of stasis. Staros is the word cross, uh, has to do with uprightness. It's a cross. And you also have the word, let me move this out of the way. You also have the word starao. These are called morphemes or word shapes. Starao, S-T-A-U-R-O-O. Starao is the word crucify. There has been a removal in the world today of crucifying the flesh. People don't understand. Every time you find the word resurrection in the New Testament scripture, Every time but one time, the word resurrection is anastasis. It means it is feminine gender. It can't be the resurrection of Christ. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, that's in John 11 where he was raising Lazarus from the dead. He, he said, I am the resurrection that's in Lazarus. Lazarus is a part of the church. 
He was a part of the wife, the bride of Christ, and that is feminine. Whenever you see resurrection, nearly every time it is Anastasis, feminine gender. So it's not talking about when you see resurrection, it'll say rise. Jesus has to rise from the dead or arise. That's the way he'll be referred to. But when it says resurrection, it's the church, the wife, the feminine resurrection. And how often do we resurrect from the dead? Daily. Daily. Because we died daily. We take our cross daily in Luke 9.23. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. So we have to daily resurrect from the dead. The apostasy is alive and well in the world today. This is where preachers are not preaching sound doctrine. The Bible says over there in Titus, uh, in the book of Titus, you can look at that. In the first chapter, it says, or not, excuse me, the second chapter, but we speak those things which become sound doctrine. And Paul said the time will come, and we're in that time now, when men will not endure sound doctrine. Sound is the Greek word hugiano, H-U-G-I-A-I-N-O, H-U-G-I-A-I-N-O. It means uncorrupt words. Now, if you listen to somebody who's corrupting the word of God, you need to check yourself and find yourself stopping doing that. What I'm teaching is not ever going to have a mega church. You tell people Christmas is Christ's mass, it's Roman Catholicism, and it's paganism, that Easter is Ishtar, and that is paganism. Jesus was God in the flesh. He died to save sinners. But Christmas and Easter doesn't have anything to do with him. That was brought. Christmas was brought into the church by Constantine. In 325 A.D. when he said, I've got to amalgamate Christianity and paganism if I'm going to save the empire because he's about to lose the empire. He was about to lose the empire to all of these, all of these Huns, Vandals, the Huns, the Vandals. The empire, you need to understand, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and the Assyrian empires their borders were on the Mediterranean Sea. But you had all these northern tribes, these eastern Huns coming over here, Huns right here. You had Ostrogoths, you had Visigoths, you had Burgundians. These were all savage, just pagan people. And Constantine was going to try to save the empire, particularly from these Visigoths. That line right there says that's Visigoths coming down. And they attacked Rome around 449 A.D. And that was what he was afraid of, that they were going to overthrow Rome. But in 325, 325 A.D., they had the Nicene Council, and that's where he said... I'm afraid these pagans are going to overrun 
the Roman Empire. Eventually, the Visigoths did attack Rome, and they did overthrow the Roman Empire. But that was a long after Christmas had brought in, been brought into the church. What Constantine did, he amalgamated all of these pagan sun and tree worship with the pagan with the apostate church at Rome and called it the Christ Mass. It was Pope Julius I that gave Christmas its pagan name. Christmas is Christ Mass of Roman Catholicism. I'm talking this morning. I wish I could go into all of the details of everything, but I can't. The Baptists, the Pentecostals, the Charismatics, the Church of Christ, the Episcopalians, the Catholics, all of them are apostate. Nobody I know of is teaching the truth of the original text of Scripture. The original text of the Old Testament was Hebrew. The original text of the New Testament is Greek. I've spent 63 years studying the Bible. I'm not new at this. I know what I'm saying is true, and I don't know if any other preacher is preaching what I'm preaching. I don't believe in the Baptists. My father was a Baptist. Don't believe in them. They don't teach what they were teaching in 1850. They, all the Baptists were teaching predestination and election, and they all knew that Christmas was paganism. Now all the Baptists are holding hands with the Catholics, with the, with the Church of Christ, and they're all getting along with the Catholics, with the, whoever they can hold hands with. That's not sound doctrine. Sound. That's the same word that John used I'm going to go ahead and give it to you again. 3 John 2. John says, I wish up talking to Gaius. He says, I wish above all things. Now I'm talking this week and last week, particularly about the charismatics and how unsound their doctrine is. Charismatics and Pentecostals. This is some of the most corrupt doctrine that's going on in the world. Pentecostals. John, this is one of the favorite verses of the Charismatics. I wish above all things, above all things, that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. I have given you a paper and this paper has got the verses in it. I don't have yours marked like I got mine but I'll tell you what it's about along the way. What I'm going to do is show you how these people these people that are preaching this prosperity gospel they're lying as fast as they talk. It, what they're saying is absolutely not true. If you leave definition, you have left the truth. You can't leave the definition of a word. Prosper is the word E-U-D-O-O. -O. That's the word E-U-O. That's the word prosper. It is a construction of two words. The prefix E-U and hodos. There are no H's in the Greek. There's what's called a diacritical mark. It's a breathing sound. Horizo. 
No H's up here in the Greek alphabet. Horizo. That's not Horizo. Hodos. Excuse me. That's also got an H on Horizo. Hodos. You Hodos means well way. That word hodos, every time the word way, highway, journey, road is mentioned in the New Testament, it is the word hodos. Jesus said, I am the hodos. I am the way. Well, if there's a well way, there has to be a bad way. You can't have a well way without having a bad way. There's two ways the Bible speaks of. The narrow way that leads to eternal life and only a few people only a few people will find the narrow way there is a broad way that leads to destruction and many will go in thereat so only a few people in the world are going to be believers not mega churches, not all of the America. Do I believe America is a believing nation? No. They don't even tell the truth in the pulpits. Why would it why could you call it believing? They contradict the word of God. The charismatics say this word prosper means money. It does not mean money. It means the well way, which is Jesus said, I am the way. And it's the narrow way as opposed to the broad way. Narrow is the word T-H-L-I-B-O. And that is the verb form of the word thalipsis, which is the word, every time you find the word, tribulation. Paul said, we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. So the well way is the tribulation way. You have to go through tribulation. Paul said that when he was stoned and left for dead outside of Lystra. When he went on his first missionary journey, he left and come up here to Antioch, went down here to Cyprus, hit the coast of what we call Turkey. That was called Asia Minor. And then he went up here to, Icon uh, to Antioch. He was driven out of there by the Pharisees and went to Iconium, went about 20 miles south to Lystra and that's where they took him outside the city and stoned him and left him for dead he was beat up real bad when they stoned people they didn't throw rocks at him it's not stoning they took a man up on a high precipice that's a cliff and then they would push him off maybe 20 feet high and if it didn't break his neck and kill him, they would throw great big boulders down on him. 25, 30 pound boulders. Paul looked like he'd been in a car wreck if that had cars and run into a brick wall going 100 miles an hour. But he got up on his feet and he made the statement at that point, we must through much tribulation, through much thalipsis, enter the kingdom of God. We have to have tribulation in our lives to mold us into the likeness of Christ. Well, the charismatics don't have any idea what they're talking about when it talks about prosper. And then they talk about, the Bible speaks of that we may have health. Well, if, the, if this is not money, prosper, then the health is spiritual also. That's the word hugiano. 
It means uncorrupt words. We wish for you the narrow way, which is Christ, and that you would be accompanied by the uncorrupt word of God. But the time will come when men will not endure. The Baptists can't endure sound doctrine. Neither can the charismatics. When you tell them tongues are not true, gosh, I don't even have time to go on that. Let's, let's look at this paper here. This shows you this will show you a lot of the verses. I've already gone through the Baptist two weeks ago. I'm not through with the Baptist. I was raised in the Baptist preacher's home. My father knew very little about the Bible. I don't say that as an insult. He just didn't know much about it. Didn't know anything about the Greek. Never heard him mention one Greek word. I had to learn that for myself. I had to grow up study the Bible I'm not we're not a denomination I'm an independent Bible teacher that's it people say what denomination are you I don't believe in denominations don't believe in the Baptists or the Catholics or the Pentecostals or the Presbyterians they all have a doctrine they all have a did you know that denomination has the same basic meaning as heresy has the same basic meaning the word heresy is heresis, H-A-I-R-E-S-I-S. Heresis, that's our word heresy. And denomination comes from D, D, and nomos. You recognize nomos, don't you? What is that? It's a Greek word. What? Law. It's a Greek word law. It means to set off a law. And if you're in the Baptist church, let's just pick the Baptists. I like to pick on them because, boy, they have corrupted themselves. The Baptists believed in predestination 150 years ago. They preached that Christmas was pagan 150 years ago. But if you go outside the Baptist doctrine of get saved, get saved one night, and that's what they say. He got saved one, one Sunday night. And they have long invitation hymns on Sunday night, but they don't have them on Sunday morning because the Dickens say, get out of that preacher. The Dickens are the bosses of the Baptist churches. I don't know if y'all know that. <laughs> they tell the preacher what to do. They hire him and they fire him. They say, you won't preach past 12 o'clock. So if they're going to have a long invitation in and beg people down the aisle, has to be at night. So a guy gets saved one night. That's why I always say that. Get saved, accept Christ. Accept Christ is the Roman Catholic Mass. That's exactly where it comes from. In Roman Catholicism, the priest raises the Eucharist up and he says the words Hacus Corpus Eum Filet. That is a utterance in Latin. You recognize corpus is the word corpse. That's an utterance in Latin that they say turns that cookie into the literal body and blood of Christ. And then everyone walks down the aisle
comes down. They used to have everybody kneel down, stick their tongue out. Now they, you can put your hands out. They'll put it in it, but stick their tongue out. And they were accepting Christ in the Eucharist. That's what they were doing. They thought that that with those utterance of those words now that's something they had to invent themselves that's not what Jesus was saying when he said except you eat my flesh and drink my blood you have no life in you he tells you what eat flesh and drink blood is in John 6 right after he says that he says here's what my flesh is very interesting he said my flesh is meat indeed so flesh, to eat flesh, is to eat equals indeed. And my blood is drink equals indeed. So to eat flesh and drink blood is to eat indeed, whatever that means. Well, it is the word in the Greek text, A-L-E-T-H-E-S. Alethes. That's the word, whether anybody likes it or not. That comes out of the interlinear Bible. Got it right up here. Interlinear Bible. And you've got the Greek on the top line and the English right under it. And I'm not even interested in the English because I don't trust any of the translators. I have to look and see what it is for myself. So, Indeed is the word alethes. It means of truth. Well, what are you trying to say, Jim? When you tell the truth to people, you're going to eat flesh and drink blood. That was an old ancient Jewish idiom. First of all, they were not allowed to eat human flesh and drink human blood in Leviticus, the 17th chapter. Not allowed to. That was an idiom. An idiom is a figure of speech. It's a saying. You find that over in the 39th chapter of Ezekiel. You'll find eat flesh and drink blood, and you'll also find it in the 19th chapter of Revelation, where God says, I'm going to call the fowls of the air and tell them when he destroys the beast and the man of sin, he said, I'm going to call the fowls of the air to come and eat flesh and drink blood because I've prepared this supper for you. It meant to partake in a slaughter. That's what it meant. Well, when you tell people Christmas is pagan, predestination is true, God does not love everybody. He only loves his wife, the church, and died for her and nobody else. When you tell them this, Boy, you're going to eat flesh and drink blood because they're going to tell on you. They're going to tell your family. They're going to tell your friends. They're going to separate from you and you're going to end up on a daily cross. Remember, death, death is the word thanos, T-H-A-N-O-S, or thanotos. And thanatos means separation. It does not mean annihilation. It means to separate. When a man is in hell, he's separated from God forever. The rich man died and in hell. He lift up his eyes, being in torments. This is in the 16th chapter of Luke. 
being in torments, he said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. God said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and Lazarus evil things. Now he's comforting your tormented. Besides this, there's a great gulf fixed. Boy, so that those who are here can't come there. Those who are there will never come here. That word gulf is the word chasma. It is a synonym for the word death. It means separation. The man in hell is separated from God forever for his sin. Jesus didn't die for him. If he died for him, he would be in heaven. He died for his wife, the church. So you got to accept Christ in the Baptist church. That's not true. That's the mass. That came out of the Church of England, which came out of the Catholic Church. And the Methodists brought it to America and brought it into their their camp meetings in the early 1800s, they modified it and they put a, their spin on it and they put a little fenced-in area down at the front of their churches in their camp meetings and then they would go down the aisle, sit there all night long trying to accept the Lord and that's where the accept Christ comes from out of the Church of England which traces back to the Catholic Church and it moved over into the Baptist Church and now the Baptists when they give invitation hymns and get people to accept Christ they're practicing Roman Catholicism. The whole world is Roman Catholic now. It is just literally being destroyed with the false doctrine. And the Baptists have got sinner's prayer. And the Bible says the blind man who was healed in John 9.31 said, We know that God heareth not sinners. You have to be worshiping God and doing His will for Him to hear you. Everybody, every Baptist I have ever been around or heard, my father included, and Billy Graham included, have given the sinner's prayer the method of salvation. And Romans ten thirteen, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's not the method of salvation. Read the next verse. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? Belief is the method of salvation, isn't it? Belief and faith are basically the same word. Believe is the verb. Faith is the noun. In the Greek, you'll have a noun. And believe is the word P-I-S-T-I-S. I'm reviewing this. Some of you haven't heard it. The verb is P-I-S-T-E-U-O. P-I-S-T is the stem. Word endings are changed. This is, this is faith and this is believe. Now, let me get on. I want to get to this paper. It may take me several weeks to get through this. I'm in a series on the false doctrines of the Charismatics. Charismatics are taking hold of the world. They're all over they're all over Europe, all over Africa, they're down in South America, they're in they are holding hands with the Roman Catholics, and you can be a charismatic and be a Baptist, a Catholic, a Methodist, Episcopalian, whatever you want to be. Charismatic comes from the word charis. And they say God has given them special gifts. Charis. Charis is the word grace. They say God has been more gracious to them. He's given them tongues, which is false doctrine. 
They say he's given them faith healing, which is false doctrine. And I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in this subject till I exhaust this thing with the charismatics. I believe the charismatic Pentecostal movement, along with the Baptists, but particularly the Pentecostal charismatics, is the most dangerous doctrine in the world. I don't believe in it at all because it is corrupting the world. There, everybody is holding hands with each other throughout the world. Now, let's take some time to read some of this paper. The favorite, I wanted to finish this up last week. Their favorite, one of their favorite verses, they have what they call positive confession. Positive confession. They say, if you say something with your mouth, it'll come to pass in your life. They say you're creating your own world with your positive confession. If you say positive things, you get that. If you say negative things, that forms your own world in your life. Positive confession. And they use a bunch of verses that I've got in this paper. I've got them in this paper. They use this first verse I've got on here, Romans 4, 17 through 20. Let's read it one more time. I read it last week. This is a dangerous doctrine. It takes people's emphasis away from the truth of God. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him who believed even God. Now this is God that quickeneth the dead and calleth those things that be not as though they were. So quickeneth the dead, quicken dead, it says and, chi is the word and, and that can also mean that is to say. When you see I-E in a book, it's saying here's another definition for what was just been said. I-E means that is to say calling things that be not, be not, as though they were. This is one of their favorite verses, and they say what that means is you can say, Cadillac, come on, Cadillac, I get a Cadillac. Come on, town car, that you can make. You can say, town car, town car, I get a town car. <coughs> you can say, new house, I get a new house, I get a new house. I want a, I want a tri-level with a, a three-car garage, and I get this, and I'm going to get it, and I'm going to set over and over again, and I'm going to get it. It's going to be mine, I'm going to set over and over until I get it. That's idiocy. That's stupid. Tell somebody that's a real slow person that they can go out and have what they want by saying over and over and they don't have any business acumen and they're not able to do anything and make things they're not able to self-start. Tell them that. Or tell the people down over in Bangladesh, India, where you got millions of people starving to death. You can go over there and say, all you do is say it with your mouth. This, what 
what they're doing is they're preying upon the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. Let me tell you what God told Moses. And this is an indictment against, this is an indictment against Kenneth Copeland, T.D. Jakes, Fred Price, Creflo Dollar, Jesse Duplantis, and all the rest of those con men crooks. That's what they are. They're con men and they're stealing from the poor. God says, Moses, you tell Israel, if they oppress the widow and the orphan, and they cry unto me, I'll hear their cry, and I will kill them with the sword. God says, you tell anybody that oppresses the widow and the orphan, they're going to answer to me. I take care of the widows and the orphans. I don't steal from them. If you go online, you look up T.D. Jake's house. Look up Kenneth Copeland's house. Look up Jesse Duplantis' house. Jesse Duplantis built a 25,000 square foot house out of New Orleans. You know how big that is? You know how big 5,000 square feet is? That's a huge house. That's like putting five 5,000 square foot houses together. They don't even need that, but they do that and steal that money from the poor in the name of their Jesus, which is not the Jesus of the Bible. That Jesus they serve is another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. Now, let's continue to read here. So this is not talking, this is talking about quickening the dead because it goes right into, the next verse goes into the deadness of Sarah's womb when God promises Abraham you're, a, you're 99 years old when you turn 100 you're going to have a son and you don't have any seed anymore you don't have any sperm anymore so you can't have kids but you're going to have a son Abraham didn't say I can't do that he said okay I believe you. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he said, your wife is Sarah and she's 89. And at, at 90, she's going to have a son. It's going to be birth for you. And this is going to be the inheritor of your household. And he'll have the promise. And his name will be Isaac. Isaac, that's why the Bible says, and we'll read those verses, Isaac was raised from the dead loins of his father, the dead womb of his mother. Isaac was the resurrection. And the Bible says several times, In Isaac shall thy seed be called. We are children of Abraham through Isaac being the son of resurrection. He was resurrected from the dead lords of his father, the dead woman of his mother. And in Isaac we are called sons of Abraham. Now, let's keep reading here. Calling things that be not was a common term in the ancient world. It's talking about somebody 
that was either dead or was taken away. Remember, death means to separate. Then he goes on to say, who being who against hope, Abraham didn't have any hope of having any son, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations at a hundred years old. At a hundred years old, he had already had a son named Ishmael by the handmaiden because Sarah got to thinking, oh, if God's promise is going to come true, you're going to have to get some help from the handmaiden. So he had... He went into the handmaid and she bore a son called his name Ishmael, the father of the Arab nations. But Ishmael did not have the promise of God. It's amazing when the Lord told Abraham, you go to up here to Mount Carmel, or not Mount, Mount Carmel, Mount Moriah, and you offer your son. Now I believe that where Abraham offered Isaac, upon the altar and he was going to kill him God says I want you to go and offer your only son your one and only son Isaac God did not even consider Ishmael being a son of Abraham when he was 13 years older than Isaac God says you go offer your one and only son Isaac and he said go up there to Mount Moriah and offer him Abraham said okay and he got everything together and they head towards Mount Moriah and Isaac says but father where's the sacrifice he said God will provide himself a sacrifice and he got Isaac put him on the altar up there he didn't even say anything about about Ishmael he did, God did, said he's not your son not as far as I'm concerned so it goes up there, and of course the story goes, Abraham has this dagger in his hand about to kill his son Isaac, and God says, that's enough. I don't believe Abraham stuttered one bit in his intent to kill his son Isaac. He was going to kill him and offer him as a sacrifice. And God says, stop. I've got a ram caught in the bushes over here. Get him and offer him instead. So Isaac was raised from the dead in a sense twice from his dead mother's womb dead father's loins and there when he was to be sacrificed there was a substitute for him now let's keep reading this and being not so shall thy seed be and being not weak in faith he considered not his own body now dead he couldn't have any children when he had when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He, Abraham said, I believe you. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Stagger notice this. Wouldn't you say stagger? Nah, I can't even spell. Stagger he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Can you call stagger unbelief? Can you do that? Can you call staggering unbelief? Can we? We can do that, can't we? Stagger equals unbelief. Stagger is the word dia crino. 
stagger is the word diacrino. It's a construction of dia. Dia means the method or the channel. The channel of crino. Crino is the common Greek word for judge. A crino, a kretes, K-R-I-T-E-S, was the man that, he was the man that sat in judgment and he pronounced the crino. So if you become the method of judging, judge means to declare. This word crino means to declare guilt or innocent. When people say judge not, what they're doing is they're declaring somebody's innocence and they're judging. Are we supposed to judge? Absolutely. John 7.24 says, Look not at the outward appearance, but judge righteous judgment. What does righteous judgment mean? Judge D-K-I-O-D-I-K-A-I-O-O -D -I -I -K -O -O. I'm talking about the Greek text. Dikaiao comes from the word DK. Dikaiao is the word justify. Means to declare innocent. And it comes from DK meaning right. It's the word right. It means to judge what is right by the Word of God. How are you going to do that without going to the original text? You say, Jim, I don't recognize all these words. Mary recognizes most of them, don't she? She's heard them over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, me on the phone, me up here in the pulpit for the last 30 years, and so she knows most everything. But I'm not, she's not the only one. You know a lot of the words, don't you? I'll say them so many times, you'll get to where you know them. I won't say judge one time or two or three times. I'll say it a hundred times in six months. So judge, when the Bible says Matthew 7 and 1, judge not, it not it's not saying don't you do any judging at all. It is saying you don't. It actually, when you start a sentence, I think Miss Redding said this and the 12th grade, about 1956. She said, when a sentence starts with a verb, there's an understood subject, you. You judge not. Whatever judge means, it means to decide guilt or innocent. Don't you decide who's guilty or who's innocent. Tell them what God said. Right? Does that make sense? Is that simple? Tell them what God said, and that's righteous judgment. So, stagger equals unbelief. The word unbelief is the word A-P-I-S-T-I-S. Apistis. Pistis is the word faith. The alpha, the alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, as a negative particle. Negative means to deny or it's the opposite of pistis, so it means no, 
faith. Abraham did not have no faith. He had faith. So he believed God. And stagger is the same word as doubt. Doubt. In Mark 11, 23. It's the same word. It's the same word as waver. Waver. So here's how you can learn to define words and learn what the real meaning is. Find some context. The best context for diacrino that I have found is here in Romans, the fourth chapter. Abraham staggered not through unbelief. So staggers unbelief. So waver or wavereth in James, the first chapter, you can say waver is unbelief. And you can say doubt is unbelief. Let me tell you what that means. Decrino means to discriminate. We talk about discrimination when people say, I don't like this color person, I don't like that color. They had a, an unbelievable movie on TV. Perhaps you've seen it. I think whoever, <laughs> I saw part of it in yesterday, and I got to thinking, boy, that says a lot. It's called Pleasantville. Has anybody ever seen that? It's how everything is in black and white and gray. And somehow this boy gets transported to this, it's a situation kind of like Father Knows Best or... or uh, Leave it to Beaver, a black and white show, you know, and it's about, it's about, there's nothing in color. And this boy's transferred, transferred from a color world to a TV program. And everybody in the town is white. And when anything comes up colored, they're prejudiced against color. I think the producer that was trying to say something to all the world. And finally, everything at the end of the movie, it starts coming back in color. It made me think of black and white and red and yellow people. It's very interesting. Whatever, whoever produced that was trying to get that <laughs> message over that color doesn't matter. And I say that it's what's in a man's heart. That's uh, interesting to watch. I was thinking all through it. I thought, wow, this is what that guy's trying to say. But they didn't say the black man or the white man. They just said they had colored things. And all of a sudden, one of them's face would become colored. And everybody else is the black and white. And he was resented because he was colored. But they used literal color. It's kind of, nobody's seen that? You've seen that? Yeah. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It's, don't you feel like that was what he's trying to impart? Yeah. I just thought, wow, this guy's got a lot of guts in Hollywood that did that. Anyway, now let's get back to this. So are we supposed to judge? Yep. What I'm trying to do is pronounce the righteous judgment of God against these lying preachers. We're in the apostasy. 
Now let's keep on reading in this paper. I don't know how far I can get. Alright. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he had uh, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He didn't have no faith, he had faith. And the first time something that was not was over in Genesis five twenty four, one of the first things I ever remember memorizing as a little kid in Bible school about 1946. I was in the second grade and we went to a Bible school. In verse 524, Enoch walked with God and he was not. I've heard preachers give all kinds of things on that say he was just translated and, and taken up in the air and his body and all was taken up. I don't believe that. These fleshly bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But you've got to go over here to the next verse, Hebrews 11 and 5. By, Enoch, by faith, Enoch was translated. Metatithame. Meta, M-E-T-A, T-I-T-H-E-M-I. Means transferred. Because Enoch walked with God and he was not you got to look at all the places where it says he was not. I don't know how God did this. I don't believe he was given a new body. Because nobody's going to have new bodies in heaven until we all get it at the same time. Perhaps his body just collapsed on the earth and God took his spirit without dying. But he was not because he was separated from his body somehow. And let's look at some of these other places where it's talking about I went ahead and put Jude 1.14 about Enoch. Enoch was the seventh from Adam. So when you go to the Genesis, the fifth chapter, and you want to know how this is numbered, we know he was number seven. Whether you count God as the first or Adam as the first, go to Enoch, count back seven, six, five. Let me show you. Go over here to Genesis, the fifth chapter. I've had people say, Enoch wasn't the seventh. Yeah, he was. The Bible says so. Here in, in the fifth chapter, this is God's lineage. No, I'm in Exodus. It won't, I won't find it there. All right. Fifth chapter of Genesis. So the Bible says he was the seventh. All right. Let me show you how you do this. So in case you want to know how to figure it out. Okay. Verse 18. Jared lived in 162 years and begat Enoch. Begat number 7. Now there's an interesting thing about Enoch. Enoch is... Enoch comes to the word C-H. Well, let me show you this. Give me another pen. C-H-A-N-A-K. That's the word in it. Kanak. It means too narrow. Too narrow. Isn't that great? Seven in the Greek 
is the word Sheba. Sheba is the word seven. And Shabua, S-H-E-B-U-A-H, in the Greek is the word oath. In order to take an oath to God, it takes more than just saying, I want to swear my allegiance to God. It takes more than that. You have to be another word for Shabua, which is the word oath, all through the Old Testament, is the word to... This is in your concordance. To seven oneself. To seven oneself. So seven is a number of divine perfection. And remember, one of my favorite sets of verses on this is Second Peter 1 and 5. Besides all this that I've been talking to you about, give all diligence add to your faith. And he names seven things. And when you add these seven things, starting with virtue and going down through knowledge and temperance and and uh, godliness and brotherly kindness and agape and agape I missed one patience uh, going through all these things and I go into all the definitions of them when you add these things the Bible say if you add these things to your life you'll never fall you want to know how to get strong in the faith you never fall if you add these things. I've done so many DVDs on this. Uh, virtue, arete, means to be mature. How long does it take you to grow up? Long time. How long does it take you to mature spiritually? It takes 40 or 50 years or 60 or 70. Till you die. I don't blame anybody for not being mature. You haven't been there long enough. You hadn't been in truth long enough. When you say, Jim, I'll make mistakes. Well, I expect that. Yeah, but I sin. Well, I expect that too. It's just you've got to grow up and mature. And you've got to add knowledge. How long does it take you to learn all these words? Oh, my lifetime. Have I learned them all? No, I haven't. I know a thousand, or I don't know how many I know. No, a whole bunch. I give them to people all day long. But that's not the point. If these things be in you, you'll never fall. And then he says, when you add these things, make your, in the same chapter, concerning the same thing, he says, make your calling and election sure. That don't mean to be positive. It means to sure up something. If you're in a car on a hill and and you have a flat tire, you jack the car up, but you got to put something, you to chalk the wheels with some kind of surety to keep it from rolling, don't you? That word sure is the word bebios, B-E-B-A-I-O-S. It means to stabilize. You stabilize your life by adding these things in Second Peter 1 and verse 5. So you stabilize yourself. You want to be stable scripturally? 
Take each one of those words and study them from the Greek text, and then you'll know. Try your faith works patience. Let patience have its perfect work. Your, your patience has to go through the fire. And I don't need to go through all the rest of those. Now, let's keep reading. And where was I? By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. He didn't see death like men did, but God took him out of that body. Probably left the body there. Nobody knows how he did it. Translated means to transfer. Metatithame, it's the same word used in Hebrews 7 when the Bible says that the tithe was transferred to the preacher or to the church. The tithe is still here. I don't have time to go into that. Now. Jim, didn't Elijah, wasn't he taken out? He was taken out on a fiery chariot, but we don't know exactly how. We don't know if God left their body here and took their spirit up. We know that flesh and blood cannot inherit God's kingdom. They can't go into that. How would they fellowship up there with a bunch of spirits of the dead and they're in some physical body? Nobody has the answer to that, but I don't believe that God took a physical body that could send into his presence. He did something by translating them. We don't know what. I've never heard anybody come up with an idea on what he did. That's like, he's going to tell us all that we need to get us ahead in our life. Now, let's, let's, let's continue to read here. And one more time the word translated is mentioned in Colossians 1.13. God has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us, metahistime, which is basically the same word as metatithime, means to transfer or remove us into the kingdom of his dear son. Look at the next verse. The next verse is Genesis 37. This is where... This is, you're going to have to keep your paper and bring it back next week because ain't no way I can finish this. This is about all these false doctrines of the charismatics are pretty much taking hold of the world. I believe the charismatics are the most dangerous people in the name of Christianity. Now, this is where Genesis 37 Joseph is 17 years old. He's his father's favorite. His father in Genesis 37 gives Joseph the coat of colors. If the word is not colors, here's the word. It's just sad that these translators, half of them were Roman Catholics, I don't think they knew what to do with some of these words. The word color is the word pas, P-A-C. The, the normal word color in the Hebrew is A-Y-I-N. It means an eye. Boy, I could go into a lot on that, couldn't I? When light goes through your lens, it goes through, uh, it goes through a series of 
I can't even think of the word. Prisms. Prisms. It goes through the prisms and breaks off it. Funny thing, when it goes through your your, uh, lenses, the lens in the eyes back here, and this is your pupil, and that's where light goes, and the and the lens of your eye is hexagonal, excuse me, triangular shaped prisms. And when it goes through a prism, it breaks off into seven colors. Prism. Huh? Prism. Prism. <laughs> prism. Prism. And then it's got hexagonal shaped prisms all around Jacob's membrane, which is the inner lining of the eye, and it breaks off into all these different colors, and it's refined. And there's something called the yellow spot, yellow spot right in the back of the eye, the fovea centralis. How can I remember that? I can't remember prism. So it breaks off into seven colors. Seven is the number of divine refinement. You got sevens all through Revelation. Now, let's keep reading here. Well, this word that this is the word colors. Colors. Jacob gave Joseph the coat of colors. The reason they called it colors, it was actually a patchwork made of many garments, patchwork. And when they and when they gave this coat of it actually meant a coat of authority. And when Joseph goes up to northern Israel to look for his brothers and his brothers see him coming. Now Joseph, you gotta remember, is only seventeen years old. And some of his brothers, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Asher, these guys, a lot of them were 38, 40 years old. And they look at Joseph coming, and he's 17, and he's got the coat of authority. That meant his father. They weren't jealous because he got a pretty coat of colors. It's because he had the coat of authority. And they would, our fathers made him boss over us. We ain't going to have this. Let's kill him. The funniest thing... Reuben, the oldest, who's unstable as water, he says, let's don't kill him. Let's sell him to this Ishmaelite caravan. And we can... Well, then Judah comes along. Well, let's read this. It'll tell you about it. Judah said unto his brethren... What prophet? Now Judah's the one that said, "Let's don't kill him. Let's put him in a pit." What verse? Ver- that Genesis thirty-seven, right there, about the fifth one down on the paper. Judah said unto his brethren, 
Judah is the fourth born of Jacob, and out of Judah will come the king. So Judah says, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to this Ishmaelite caravan that's coming through. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. And then, later on in the chapter, Reuben evidently hadn't been there. He's the oldest. It's, and he didn't get the promise of God. God split the promise between Levi, the thirdborn, Judah, Judah, the fourthborn, the king would come out of Judah. Out of Levi would come the priests. And then Joseph, the eleventhborn, will receive the inheritance through his secondborn son Ephraim. Anytime the Bible says Ephraim after they're all dead, it's talking about northern Israel. And he had another son came named Manasseh, but he doesn't count. So the what belonged to the firstborn was given to these right here. And you can see that when you read Genesis. So, but Reuben comes up, they put him in a pit. And Reuben comes up and finds Joseph in the pit. And here's what he says in, in Genesis uh, in Genesis, not 42, uh, Genesis 37, 26 through 27. Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, let, let our hand not be upon him, for he is our brother. We didn't, I didn't get the rest of this printed. Turn over there to Genesis 37. 37. And Reuben is the one that said that don't shed any blood. In verse 22, and then he's put into a pit. And then here in verse in verse twenty verse thirty. Well let's read twenty nine and thirty of verse chapter thirty seven. Reuben returned into the pit, and behold Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. Evidently Reuben hadn't been there when they decided to put him in a pit. It was Judah that said, Let's don't put it I'll get it right in a minute. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not. Reuben thought he was dead. Is not was a term in the ancient world that meant it don't exist anymore. They're dead. Either that, huh? That's when they'd sold him. That's when they'd sold him. Yeah. And Reuben said, He is not. That's a common term. Something was not. When God calls things that be not as though they were, he raised Isaac from the dead. Then look at this next verse in Genesis 42.13. They're standing before Joseph. They go over to Egypt to get grain because there's a great famine in all the land. They go stand in front of Joseph the head of the land. He's second only to Pharaoh because he had interpreted Pharaoh's dream. They're standing in front of Joseph answering and he's telling them, you're a bunch of spies that come into the land. He's only doing that to find out if they're repentant of having sold him. But it's not Joseph that's talking to them. He's talking to them through an interpreter. 
so they won't hear his voice and they won't recognize his voice. This is 20 years after he's been sold into Egypt. At least 20. He's around 40 years old and he was 17 when they sold him. And he's probably got an Egyptian beard and an Egyptian haircut and perhaps one of those cobra things on his head clown and they don't recognize him and he's talking in through an interpreter and he accuses them of being thieves and here's what they say in 43 42 and 13 they're looking up at Joseph thy servants are twelve brethren the, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan and behold the youngest is this day with our father that's Benjamin and one is not they're saying he's dead so calling things that be not is, is raising the dead and then if you go on to the next verse 42 and 32 and they're standing before Joseph there in verse 32, we be twelve brethren, sons of our father, and one is not. And the youngest is this day with our father. And then you get on to Genesis 32. I'm just showing you how many times this word is not is used. Jacob their father said unto them, this is after they get grain, after they go home, they leave Simeon over there. Joseph requires, I want one of them left with me and he looks at the at the second born at the second born and he says I want him to stay with me man and that kind of bends them all out of shape and they think that Joseph for this leader in Egypt is going to kill Simeon when they leave and they think Joseph is dead and they're talking to him that's kind of astonishing isn't it <laughs> in verse 36 of Genesis 42 Jacob their father said unto them me you have bereaved of my children Joseph is not he's dead you told me that a wild animal killed him he didn't know he was carried away by an Ishmaelite caravan. When he says, when Jacob says, Joseph is not, he thinks he's dead. And then he says, Simeon is not. Surely that king over Egypt is going to kill Simeon too. He said, two of my sons are gone. They're dead. I wanted you to see how often is not is used in the Bible. And you will take Benjamin away all these things are against me then the next verse he's talking to Joseph they go back over there they're talking to Joseph again and we said unto my Lord we have a father an old man and a child of his old age a little one talking about Benjamin and his brother Joseph is dead they're calling calling Joseph is not and dead both. Joseph is not, Joseph is dead. Can you see that? Is not equals dead, doesn't it? 
And he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. Because he's saying, I want you to bring Benjamin to me. And then in the next, the next verse I've got on here, another is not. Jeremiah is prophesying to Israel, telling them Nebuchadnezzar's coming in, and he's going to slaughter Israel because they have gone after all these gods, and they won't repent. They won't go after God, and they won't do what Nebuchadnezzar which tells them to do because he is the Savior of Israel. Israel is supposed... Wait a minute. How much time do I have? 21. Oh. So, Jeremiah is prophesying the destruction of southern Judah. Jeremiah. He's talking about God destroying southern Judah and how Nebuchadnezzar's coming in and killing men, women, and children, those that are rebellious against God. The poor that are believers, he's going to leave them alone. Then he says in Jeremiah thirty-one fifteen, this is just when you get to Jeremiah 39, that's when they're completely conquered, southern Israel. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel was Jacob's beloved. He loved Rachel. So she's called the mother of all of the sons, even though Leah was a mother and Bilhah and Zilpah were mothers of, of the half-brothers. Rachel was weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not they were dead they were being carried away into captivity and that reminds us of Matthew the second chapter the next verse Matthew the second chapter where Herod when he had privily called the wise men inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared of course they leave Herod they go to the house where the young child is. Jesus is not a baby in a manger when the wise men get there. He is in a house and he's at least two years old. The wise men did not get to a manger scene. This is out of a King James Bible. Then verse 11, when they were come to the house where they saw the young child would marry his mother. He's not in a manger the shepherds got to the manger. The wise men, I keep saying, they were coming from over here in the east in Babylon. They see a star, and then they got to travel 650 miles. They couldn't have got there the same night, not unless they took a jet. Could they? It's going to take months for them to get there on a camel or a horse or however they came. doesn't say they rode camels. Didn't say there were two wise men either. Or three wise men, excuse me. Didn't say there were three wise men. It says there were three gifts. We don't know how many wise men there were. There could have been 10 or 15. But they brought three gifts. And they weren't birthday gifts either. Don't have time to go there. All right. And when they were come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother. And fell down and worshipped him when they had when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
Myrrh is another word for Smyrna. The church at Smyrna, like we got across town, means myrrh. They anointed dead bodies with myrrh because it smelled real good. Frankincense was offered on the the uh, golden altar inside the outer sanctuary. It was part of the incense that was offered. Gold was a sign of purity. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And Herod got upset, got mad. So here's what he does. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise man, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under. Jesus had to be at least two years old living in this house, had to be at least two years old, according to the time there in verse 7, which he had diligently inquired of the wise man, then was fulfilled that was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah, there was a voice heard, and lamentation, and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they were dead. They are not. Something that's not is dead. I'm trying to establish that with you. It's not talking about saying Cadillac, Cadillac, I get a Cadillac. It's about raising the dead. It's, it's the stupidest doctrine. They think they can have what they want by saying it. I'm not going to get even partway through this paper. There's so many things that I want to say about this. All right. Where was I? Oh, I was... Okay. Now, Jeremiah 10, 19, and 20. This is where God, God is using Jeremiah to cry unto Israel, Nebuchadnezzar's coming and slaughtering the, the children of Judah, southern Israel, because he's already carried away northern Israel. Woe is me, for my hurt, my wound is grievous. But I said truly, this is grief, because Israel is being overrun at this point by Nebuchadnezzar. And I must bury it. My tabernacle is spoiled, my cords are broken, my children have gone forth from me. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. And they are not. There's another illustration of something that was not then go on to Job 7 and 8 the eye of him that has seen me shall see me no more this is Job Job is weeping over his plight his seven sons and three daughters are dead God blew his house down of his son killed all of his sons and daughters and Job said I would to God that I'd never been born but I'll praise God though God slay me I'll trust him Thine eyes are upon me, and I am not. Job is saying, in essence, I'm a dead man. have no use anymore. Then Proverbs 12 and 7, The wicked are overthrown and are not. That was a common 
Anytime you see something this many times, it was an idiom. It was a saying. So when you get into Romans 4, calling things that be not, that's something that's dead. The dead loins, I want to say that till I drive it in the ground. The dead loins of Abraham, the dead womb of Sarah. God raised Isaac from the dead. In Isaiah 17, 13, The nations shall rush like the rushing of many waters, but God shall rebuke them, and they shall flee far off, and shall be chased as the chaff of the mountains before the wind, like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. And behold, at evening tide, trouble, and before the morning, he is not. This is going to be the death of the people that God's bringing judgment on. Then we get into Isaac's being the seed of God called through Isaac. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called in the resurrection from the dead. Will we be called? We're called to be resurrected daily and to be crucified daily. Notice this has to do with the daily cross. Now notice this. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence he had received him in a figure. He'd already received him from the dead once. So he says, if I kill him, God has to live by his promise. He'll have to raise Isaac from that dead altar over there. And he received him as a figure. P-A-R-A-B-O-L-E. It's our word parable. comes from para and bole. Or ballo. B-A-L-L-O. Ballo is our word ball. And it means to cast down near. A parable is something that's near the real thing. And it illustrates the real thing so he's actually saying if I kill him he's he's already I've received him in that type of a figure when God raised him out of the dead loin of his father and the dead womb of his mother that's calling things that be not can you see that there's no doubt that's what it is it's not not saying words with your mouth and getting it that is outrageous then, 21 and 12, Genesis on that second page. God said unto Abraham, let, not, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, because of your bondwoman. He's talking about Ishmael and Hagar. And all that Sarah has said to thee, hearken unto her voice, she said, throw out the bondwoman and her son. Because in Isaac... He will get the inheritance. And God says, the covenant goes to Isaac in Genesis, the 17th chapter. Not Ishmael. He said, Abraham said, what about Ishmael? Bless my son Ishmael. He said, I'll bless him and 12 princes shall he beget. But my covenant goes to Isaac. He's the only son that I recognize. So, which verse was I in? And then in Galatians 3, 7 through 8, 
Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham, were children by faith in, in Abraham in the resurrection from the dead. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel to Abraham. The gospel's a resurrection, isn't it? Gospel equals resurrection. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Oh, by the way, gospel is also the baptism. And Luke, the third chapter, in verses 3 and 4, it's the baptism. Because the gospel is preparing the way of the Lord, and baptism is preparing the way of the Lord, and it's a blood baptism. Notice all these things go click, click, click. Don't they? And then, where was I? In Galatians 3.16, now Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. It's one seed. I don't mean it to be crude, but when a man is sexually intimate with his wife, he gives off about 600,000 sperm at once. So that's like God says, my seed is all my church. It's one seed in all. If you got more than one kid, it's one seed, isn't it? Come from you and your wife? It's more than one. But it's one seed. And the, I say, and the thing about seed, I've got it later on in here, but I'll go ahead and say it. They say, plant your seed faith. Send your money. Money is not seed. The word seed is sporos. Sporos, we get the word spore from that. When you spore something and you're a farmer or you're just a small time farmer and you plow up a field and you get out there with a seed bag and you spore the seed, you scatter it. It comes from the word sperma, S-P-E-R-M-A, that's our word sperm and it's masculine gender. There is no masculinity to money. They say plant your seed. You all heard them say that, haven't you? It's dumb. It doesn't even meet the definition. You can't just come up and we think this means uh, what I want to do is send TBN a great big bag of bird seed. <laughs> say multiply this. Just get a great big bag and put TBN on it. Hennessyville, Tennessee. Dumb. All right. And then you got, I didn't know what else to do, but then you got Abraham dead, the deadness of Sarah's womb. And look at Hebrews 11, 11 through 12. Through faith also Sarah herself receives strength to conceive seed. She receives strength to conceive seed from God. Because she didn't have any, she didn't ovulate anymore. It goes on to say it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. She didn't ovulate. She couldn't have kids. But she's going to. 
that when she was past age, that's talking about her one was dead. Because she judged him faithful who had promised, therefore sprang there even one him as good as dead. Talking about Abraham as good as dead. He might have been a dead man to say he's going to have any children. And they hadn't had any. So many as the stars in the sky and the multitude as the sand which is by the seashore more innumerable. And then in Genesis 18, God says, And he said, I will certainly return unto thee, talking to Abraham, according to the time of life, an exact time, and to Sarah thy wife shall have a son at a particular time, and Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. She couldn't have children. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, Am I waxed old? Shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time. Boy, how's that, how's that for predestination? At the appointed time, I'll return unto thee according to the time of life. That's sovereignty, isn't it? And Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid of God. And he said, Nay, but you did laugh. And Isaac means laughter. In verse 20, Genesis 21 and 2, Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in her old age at the time which God had spoken to him. An exact time, calling things. I hope we verified this morning what calling things that be not is. Is calling alive from the dead. I want to just, just drive this in the ground and break it off. There ain't no doubt that that charismatic doctrine is an out and out lie. And what it does, it preys upon the poor. And then I got to go into the fig tree next week. Am I out of time, Mike? Three minutes. Three minutes. I don't know what I can do in three minutes. <laughs> I want you to know that I wanted to really go through all these things that be not so you understand that that doctrine they preach calling things that be not but it verifies it in that next verse Abraham considered not his body owned his body now did neither the deadness of Sarah's womb and these other verses that talking about they were old they couldn't have children Calling, if you can resurrect the dead, you can call things that be not, but you can't have a Cadillac to it. <laughs> I don't know why God lets those people live, because they, they tell these people lies by saying, you can say these things if you send me your money. How did they get their name in there? That's what I want to know. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'll come back to... You got to bring your paper back because I'm going to get into the fig tree and go through it. This is a charismatic paper, anti charismatic. I don't like the charismatic movement, I don't like the Pentecostal movement. It's all lies.
and I've got guts to say it on the TV and say it loud and clear. Nobody else has the guts to say it. I don't know of anybody else that does. Do you? Isn't it time for somebody to say the truth? I told Mary we were sitting at sitting at a restaurant down at Rivergate, the Olive Garden one time. This is about seven or eight years ago. We were sitting in there and I said, I feel like Mary that God has stuck his finger out of the sky and put it on the top of my head and said, you are going to tell everybody the truth. You got it. I used to be afraid to say these things years ago. I knew I'd make enemies. I knew I'd run off all of my real estate clients. I knew I couldn't work my way up in the music world. If you make enemies and you tell people all these things, they ain't going to like you for it. I have more enemies than I've got friends, but the friends I've got are a lifetime. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for details that you've given us in your word. Causes us to bow to your will on everything. Fight our battles. We can't fight these people in the world. Lead us to your elect family. And we'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Be sure and bring your papers with you next Sunday. I got to resume this.